Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of History Spelunkers, the show where I take a deep dive into an obscure topic from history, and I tell you all about what I find. I am your host, Kelvin, he, him pronouns, and joining me today are my wonderful, fantastic, and curious co-hosts. Introduce yourselves. I'm Jamie. I use she, her pronouns. I'm Ryan. I use he, him pronouns. I'm Laura, she, her pronouns. All right. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Hopefully y'all are ready to get into some niche history, as is the name of the game. This episode will be a little different than previous ones we've done because it's going to be a whole episode basically dedicated to the beautifully eccentric life of a single person. So. If y'all are ready, let's dive down the rabbit hole. comes to mind when you think of an eccentric person? Miss Frizzle, specifically. Miss Frizzle, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that one, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Magic school bus lady. I would say yeah. someone that has too much money, so they just start buying stupid shit, and then oh. their house is like a weird art piece. Oh, God. Okay. I always okay. think of Stanley Marsh. Stanley Marsh. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, none of y'all are wrong, I, I guess. Living in Austin, you know, the motto is keep Austin weird. Portland's the same thing. They're keep Portland weird up in Oregon. San Francisco is another eccentric city known for its inhabitants. And uh, it seems that this history with San Francisco is fairly long. It stretches all the way back to the 1860s, which is whenever our character that we will be discussing today, and I say character because he truly was one, and uh, I'll just let y'all judge for yourselves. His name is Joshua Abraham Norton, and he was born in February of 1818 in England, so he's immigrated later on in life. And whenever he was only two years old, his family moved to South Africa, where his father entered the candle making business. And in South Africa, he ended up having nine siblings born in the next 10 years. So his parents were very busy. But unfortunately, not all of the children uh, had very long lives. By 1848, 
Both of Joshua's parents were dead, along with his two brothers, Louis and Philip. And so he was the only remaining son. So theoretically, he should have inherited his father's business. But it seems that they might have had a strained relationship towards the end of his father's life. And so in 1845, a few years before his parents' death, he actually returned to England. And from there, he hopped a ship to America. And we know he arrived in Boston in 1846. But for the next few years, we have no idea what happens to him. He kind of just disappears off the face of the earth. Some say that he could have gone to Brazil. But all that we know is that in 1849, 1850, he arrives in San Francisco with the gold rush over the next couple of years he becomes incredibly wealthy by investing in real estate he'd probably be a millionaire by today's standards and so like you said ryan wealthy people you know have the possibility of becoming eccentric so we're checking off some things on our predetermined list here and having money he is able to move some of that money around and do a little bit of speculation. Well, in late 1852, there was a famine in China, which caused the price of rice to explode 900% to a whopping 36 cents per pound. And so Mm -hmm. whenever you have as much money as Joshua does, you see the opportunity to get even more money. And Mm. so he... He was going to corner the market on rice. So he bought a ship that was on its way up from Peru with over 200,000 pounds of rice for the price of 12 and a half cents per pound. And he was going to flip it and sell it for that 36 cents per pound in the city, possibly even higher if the market kept going the way he wanted it to. Uh, So he signed the contract and put down the necessary $25,000. But the day after he made the full deposit, and for the next couple of weeks, other ships carrying Peruvian rice came into the city, therefore making the price plummet. And by the time his ship arrived with the rice, it was only worth three cents per pound. What you deserve, man. This man got on the wrong side of Bitcoin. (laughs) He did. He did. And so... uh. Seeing the predicament that he was in, uh, Norton tried to void the contract by claiming that he had been misled about the quality of the rice that he was purchasing. (laughs) And it worked its way through state of California court system for several years until ultimately the Supreme Court of California decided that, no, it was not the rice grower's fault. Norton had to pay up the sum of money. And of course, the years of legal battle made him lose even more money than he already had. And so he went into debt and had to sell all of his real estate holdings. And by 1858, he had declared bankruptcy and was living in a working class boarding house. And so, yeah. Rich on real estate, poor on rice. (laughs) Yeah. He, He lost all of his money, basically. And he again, disappears for a little bit 
into a depressive reclusiveness. And so we don't know what happens. He's kind of just living on the street, a very far cry from what the life that he had been used to. And so at this point, you know, it seems to be a relatively normal, if not unfortunately tragic life. So why would I be telling you about this man? Why would I call him an eccentric if he just made an unfortunate business decision? Well, I'll tell you. On September 17th, 1859, Norton took out space in the pages of the San Francisco Evening Bulletin newspaper. In the space, he issued the following proclamation, quote, At the preemptory request of a large majority of the citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Algoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and ten months past of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself emperor of these United States. And in virtue of the authority hereby in me vested, I do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the Union to assemble in Musical Hall of the City on the 1st of February next, then and there, to make such alterations in the existing laws of the Union as may ameliorate the evils under which this country is laboring, and thereby cause confidence to exist both at home and abroad in our stability and integrity. Signed, Norton I, Emperor of the United States. Norton I, oh my god. What? He's self-named. Like, <laughs> he have heirs? No, he, he was not married, nor did he have children. Uh, but yeah, so basically, summing all that up, a practically homeless man living on the streets... <laughs> Took out space in the newspaper <laughs> to declare himself our overlord. I mean, how are you going to argue with that? You can't. Yeah. I mean, I, I see no flaws in his logic right there. And see, the city of San Francisco thought the exact same thing. <laughs> because they're like, okay, you do your thing, man. And uh, he became a celebrity in the city the newspaper would basically allow Norton to make all sorts of proclamations in order to effectively run his new empire. <laughs> Some of these... Were they, were they making fun of him? Or, like, were they legit? They had to have been making fun of him, right? Like, I mean, oh, look at this crazy guy. Let He's not doing any harm. We'll just let him do his thing. It's entertaining. I mean, wasn't yeah. there a country that just fired their, like, sorcerer or whatever not too long ago? Their what? Their wizard. New Zealand, yeah. They had a this, the national wizard. Yeah, they fired him off the payroll, um, <laughs> unfortunately. That, I mean, it's just, I mean, you got to have, a, not a class clown, what do you call that? A jester? Yeah. A city jester? A yeah. city jester. <laughs> yeah, it was. it was a lot of, this guy's not doing any harm. It's funny, and he's just kind of a nice dude, so we'll let him do his thing. <laughs> it's not hurting anybody. So yeah, the newspaper let him issue all sorts of proclamations. Some of these declarations included the abolition of Congress and the abolition of the presidency, because it's his job now. 
he created his own currency that the city would take from him because, okay. Uh, he thought that all the Christians and Jews should come together and crown him emperor amongst all their denominations. <laughs> uh, so he thought the world should unify under those religions or whatever. Um, so yeah, all sorts of things. He would walk the streets of San Francisco dressed in a full military uniform and a beaver skin hat with a peacock feather stuffed in it. And uh, because he was the emperor, he was allowed to eat for free at any of the city's lunch counters, restaurants. And like I said, he had his own money. He had handwritten notes from the Bank of Norton, and they were honored by multiple city businesses as valid. Yes. So, so I feel like this kind of could lead into our now overlords of the internet, Norton Antivirus. Is I was going to say that. Is that his yeah. heir? Is that his oh, legacy? Norton <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Norton the second. Norton Jr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just yeah. like, want to know, like, what, like, preempted this? Like, I assume he just, like, had some type of, like, mental breakdown, right? And then because it's the 1800s and they don't know anything about mental health, they like just think it's funny. But I'm like, was he aware of what he was doing when he was like making his money? Was he like, ah, yes, you know, this will be this will be wonderful. I really hope he was. That would make it so much funnier if he was just completely aware. Yeah. Not conscious, whatever you call it. Just playing the game. Like he knows what he's doing. I mean, what what does it matter if you're being made fun of if you're the one eating for free everywhere and getting to walk <laughs> around like you own the place? I guess people didn't yeah. take pictures with him or anything because that wasn't were cameras a thing in eighteen something. They had cameras. I just don't know if like normal everyday people had cameras. Did the emperor have the camera? Probably. Emperor did not have a camera, but there are pictures of him. I will show you one right now. Here's a fancy portrait of him all dolled up in his uniform and beaver skin hat. Like a saber? He does have a sword, yes. Oh, man. And, uh, that picture with his money, or do you think they gave it to him for free? I don't know. This is like this photo and this portrait of him are like the two famous photos of him. And I'll put them in the show notes for. The listeners, since this is and since they can't see what we're looking at, but uh, yeah, <laughs> you gotta explain the picture for everyone. I mean, he's in a full military uniform with epaulets, and he has a sword and a beard and a top hat with a feather sticking out the top of it. Very of the time, like beard and mustache combo. So yeah, that's to give you an idea of the person we're talking about. That's what he looks like. He would ride around his, his city on his bicycle and uh, passing out his own money. From time to time, he would ask his loyal subjects to pay, quote, taxes to him. So that way he could pay rent at the boarding house or travel outside of the city. He liked to travel to Sacramento occasionally in order to watch the proceedings of the state legislature. Just 
you know, they're running his government, you know, so he has to make sure that they're keep track of what they're doing. See, but that also makes me think that he knew what was going on because he still had people pay him like real money taxes to pay for stuff. Well, like until his own money takes off, just give him. No, oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He hasn't written enough notes yet. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It, <laughs> it takes a little bit. Um, but yeah, whenever he wasn't traveling, he would spend his time reading newspapers, visiting the library. Or just standing on street corners, espousing his philosophical treatises and beliefs to anyone all who would listen to him. Some of the broader political things that he proclaimed and stood for uh, was the end of all political corruption at every level. He was pro-women's suffrage. He was for the protection of Black Asian and Native Americans, you know, he thought that slavery should be abolished, all that stuff. He was very much for the separation of church and state. And he even called for a League of Nations in order to prevent world wars. So there you go. Actually, a pretty progressive dude by all counts for the time. Another weird thing uh, the city government would provide him funds in order to repair the emperor's uniform. And most (laughs) theaters in the city uh, would save front row seats for the emperor and for any of his subjects that he would decide to bring along with him on occasion. And, uh, go ahead. I, I, I really hope he knew exactly what he was doing. You know, like, I hope he was like, of totally sound mind and just like, let's see how far I can take this. Of course he's, he's the emperor, <laughs> Jamie. Come on. Um, my bad, my bad. But yeah, uh, <laughs> the, this city even listed him in the 1870 census in the city directory. He is listed as the emperor. So, yeah, he he took his job very seriously. Uh, He would frequently inspect the local public transportation and he would write them up in the newspapers if uh, he thought that they were not running as effectively as they should. Uh, One of his orders specifically for the local area was for the creation of a bridge between San Francisco and Oakland in order to make travel between the two of them easier. So that's kind of just like one of his little local things. And um, he also, this is really cute. He would make king or queen four day declarations. And so in his like, proclamations that you'd write in the newspaper he would award these patents of nobility to children who assisted him doing stuff around the city running errands for him or if he just felt that they needed a little bit of cheering up he would make them king for a day that's so sweet can you imagine being like an eight-year-old and you go running an errand for a crazy man for the local crazy man and so in the, the next day in the newspaper he makes you king yeah, oh <laughs> very sweet. Uh, <laughs> a, a famous incident 
probably the most famous incident to really illustrate how much the city respected him occurred in 1867. At the time, there was like city police, but it wasn't really organized and they hired a lot of basically private security for a lot of things to just kind of boost their numbers. Well, a member of this auxiliary police force in 1867 arrested Emperor Norton on the charge of vagrancy, which is being homeless. When this was found to be false, because he does live in a boarding house, the officer then changed the reason that he arrested him to lunacy. And local newspapers, they just lost it. Um, Quoting one of them, and what can only be described as the most dastardly of errors, Joshua A. Norton was arrested today. He is being held on the ludicrous charge of lunacy, known (laughs) and loved by all true San Franciscans as Emperor Norton. This kindly monarch of Montgomery Street is less a lunatic than those who have engineered these trumped up charges. As they will learn, his majesty's loyal subjects are fully appraised of this outrage. So, (laughs) promptly, the police chief released Norton and apologized, issued a formal apology. Norton accepted, and he issued a pardon to the arresting officer, you know, forgiving him for his malfeasance. (laughs) And from that day forward, if it so happened that a police officer strolling the beat came across the emperor, they would salute him. Yes. As he so deserves. I bet the one guy that actually arrested him was like, I, this guy pisses me off. I've been waiting <laughs> to arrest him. I finally get my chance. And then now I'm the joke of the city. Like everybody yeah. knows who I am and everyone hates me. He, he totally did not get it. And, you know, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's the city loved the guy and he seems like, you know, from what we do know about him, he seems like a genuinely decent man. Um, but yeah, the emperor, you know, being the leader of the United States, the form one of the foremost nations of the world at the time, he was interested and invested in international affairs as any monarch should be. Well, in 1863, Napoleon Bonaparte III of France invaded Mexico and instilled some like German guy named Maximilian Habsburg as the public rule I'm mean, as the puppet ruler of Mexico. Well, Emperor Norton ordered that Emperor Maximilian should be captured and brought to San Francisco as a POW. And he also at that moment gave himself the title of protector of Mexico. So his full title was Emperor Norton, the first emperor of the United States, protector of Mexico. (laughs) Uh, He also was pen pals with Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom. I say pen pals. It was very much one way. Uh, He wrote multiple letters to the queen 
And in the letters, he suggested that after the death of her husband, Prince Albert, that it would be advantageous for the two of them to marry and solidify the bonds between the two nations. Yeah, um, uh-huh. And like I said, it was one side the queen never responded to his letters, <laughs> but he, he's, you know, flirting with the queen, I guess. Emperor Norton also had frequent correspondence with King Kamehameha V of Hawaii. And I, it's not sure how exactly true this is, but allegedly whenever Kamehameha died in 1872, towards the end of his life, he would not have any dealings with the U.S. State Department only recognizing Norton as ruler of the U.S. And so the only person he could correspond with in order to deal with U.S. affairs. Emperor Pedro II of Brazil also allegedly kind of recognized Norton as emperor of the United States. Like I said, there's not a whole lot of people have claimed that both of those were the case, but uh, the evidence is I can't really find a whole lot of it. That's something funny to think about, that it was working. (laughs) He's gaining some notoriety, though, like, slowly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's at Burr Norton. And uh, he was not the only eccentric, famous vagabond running around San Francisco at the time. One of his contemporaries was a man named Frederick Combs. Uh, who was also living in San Francisco, and he believed himself to be the reincarnation of President George Washington. Uh, Apparently, they had very similar faces, and so he began calling himself George Washington II. And he dressed up in Revolutionary War garb, and he would stay at a bar in the city drawing up military plans from Valley Forge. He would also travel around town philosophizing and ranting at anyone who would listen about how he would be running the country. And apparently he was also an expert in phrenology. He wrote a best-selling book on the subject. For those who don't know, phrenology is the disproven pseudoscience that believes the shape of one's skulls determines their intelligence and personality. Uh, It's connected a lot with like eugenics and stuff, but yeah, he, he wrote a book on phrenology. George Washington, the second did George Washington, of course, would also make declarations to the people of San Francisco in the newspapers. One of these, he billed the United States Congress for 17.73 quadrillion dollars for expenses he incurred while, quote, contributing to the well-being of the nation. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it's an ungodly amount of money. Like, (laughs) and this is back in the 1860s. (laughs) But yeah, George Washington fancied himself a ladies man he thought he was he was really attractive and he thought that this was the main reason that he and emperor didn't get along very well of course (laughs) you know 
one's the emperor and the other one's just George Washington. So there's definitely a rank, but they did not get along well. And George Washington thought that he was just more attractive than Norton. So that's his whole argument of like why he's more valid is I'm more attractive than you are. They they would like make allegations about who was like more sexually attractive and who could get the ladies and stuff and disparaging of each other's honor as gentlemen, you know. Oh, my God. Let me, let me see this man. Let me, let me judge. Oh, uh, let me, okay. Let me find a picture of him here. <laughs> I don't have one pulled up. Was he also a phrenologist because he looked like George Washington and so that therefore made him just as smart and as good? Yeah, that's probably his argument. His skull was shaped the same as George Washington, so he must be... He big brain. Uh, I mean, I guess, yeah. People, like... People at the time thought that they looked very similar. Okay, so here's a picture of him standing next to a statue of George Washington. I can see it, yeah. I, can I, mean, see it. Uh, I think he looks more like Ben Franklin. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, well, that's what he looked like. You think he's more attractive? Then George Washington, no, like he has. Well, no, that... then then the emperor. Oh well. Oh. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say the emperor has definitely got it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not digging like the the side of the head, like little head curl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just not working for him. Was that a wig? Did they, was did he do the whole like powdered wig thing and everything? Uh, I I don't know if he did a powdered wig, but he wore the outfit otherwise i'm pretty sure and so so they didn't like each other uh would frequently bash each other in the newspapers and after one particularly unpleasant incident between the two of them norton issued an order to his loyal subjects that washington should be arrested and thrown into the state lunatic asylum for at least 30 days. <laughs> After this order, George Washington decided that the town wasn't big enough for the two of them. And so he actually ended up moving across the country to New York City, where he spent the rest of his life. So the emperor won. The yes. emperor won. Ran him out of town. Ran Good him out. Good for him. Yeah. Another colleague of the good emperor was actually not one person, was not even a person. It was a pair of dogs. <gasps> what? Hummer <laughs> and Lazarus were two stray dogs that wandered the streets of San Francisco. Bummer was a Newfoundland mix who lived outside of a saloon and was well known for his ability to catch rats. Mm. And one night in 1861, Bummer rescued another dog from a dog fight. This other dog was very injured and was not expected to live, but Bummer took care of him 
and they quickly he quickly recovered and from that point the two became inseparable and mm-hmm. because of the miraculous recovery the second dog was named Lazarus after coming back from the brink of death and he too became a world renowned rat catcher <laughs> Both of them were apparently very good at their job. Allegedly, they once killed over 80 rats in 20 minutes. Oh, hell yeah. And in 1862, the city issued an ordinance ordering that all of the city's stray dogs should be captured. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of stray dogs in the cities at the time. I mean, streets are unpaved. There's a bunch of trash laying about. So they're saying just round up all the dogs. Well, on June 14th, Lazarus was captured by the new dog catcher. And the city was, again, came up in arms and demanded the release of the dog. And so he was released and the city made Lazarus and Bummer exempt from the dog catching law. So I say they were contemporaries to Emperor Norton because there was a rumor that got started that the two dogs belonged to Emperor Norton. And because of this association and because of just the city liking the two dogs, like newspapers would write all these stories. There would be like a daily column about what are the two puppy dogs up to in the city, you know, that sort of thing. And the rumor was that the two dogs belonged to Emperor Norton. Well, Norton did not like this idea because he hated the idea that royalty such as himself would be associated with two stray mutts. Hmm. I hope this was the downfall. Like this, this was the point. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> full respect for the man, you know? Well, uh, that that's actually part of like whenever cities would save multiple seats for the emperor on the front row of their theaters, the extra seats were for the dogs. <laughs> yes, like they deserve. But uh, story does get a little sad. Preemptive warning. Uh, Lazarus died. In October of 1863, reports conflict exactly what happened. He was either kicked by a horse or he was poisoned by a man who claimed the dog bit his son. But either way, Lazarus was dead. And the people of San Francisco came together and performed a solemn funeral march for the dog. A decent amount of people showed up, marched by the bar that they stayed at, and uh, supposedly Bummer sat and watched everyone as they walked by. Oh, my God. Showing the respects. Um, Well, the owner of the bar that the two dogs slept near ended up taking Lazarus's body and having it taxidermied, and then he put it on display behind the bar. 
supposedly he showed Bummer the taxidermied Lazarus. Bummer was very confused. Yeah, as you would. Yeah, uh, I mean, I would be too. <laughs> yeah, <I> w- and, <laughs> but Lazarus stayed inside and Bummer slept on the outside. So Bummer continued going about doing his ratting thing and he lived alone. He There is one time whenever they thought he would he had found a new dog that he was kind of hanging around with. But they, I guess it didn't really pan out between the two of them. Aww. Uh, so, so Bummer lived alone until his death uh, a couple years later in November of 1865. Another sad st- thing here. Um, two months before his death, Bummer was kicked down a flight of stairs by a drunk man. And that seems to be what did him in. He never really recovered from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story is, is that the man who kicked a bummer down the stairs, he, he got arrested for being drunk that night. And his soulmate allegedly punched him in the face after learning what he did, that he kicked yeah. the local celebrity down a flight of stairs. There's no reason to do that. Like. I don't care if he's in the way or whatever. Like that's that's terrible. Yeah, it's really sad. But uh, so the bar owner took Bummer, and he was also taxidermied, reunited with Lazarus, and they stayed together until 1906 in the bar until they were then put into storage after the earthquake that hit San Francisco that year. But unfortunately, both of them were destroyed in 1910 after just being in storage for so long and not properly maintained. So, no. But that is the story of Bummer and Lazarus. Well, we have to see them too now. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Me too. Here is a newspaper cartoon showing the two of them with Emperor Norton at a table. Emperor Norton is eating off of this very ornate banquet table, and the two puppy dogs are waiting for him to throw them down some scraps. Here's another cartoon of the two of them here in the center, kind of leading a parade with... Emperor Norton standing here in his military garb and George Washington II is also there. And then here is the newspaper cartoon that came about at the death of Lazarus. And the funeral procession is all drawn in there. You see Bummer kind of standing down there in the front And Emperor Norton is kind of giving a little bit of a service at the top of it. And George Washington II is digging Lazarus's grave. Of course, it wasn't actually as ornate as this, but the newspapers had fun. And then here is the cartoon that got made whenever Bummer died. And it shows Bummer 
resting on like a little altar table with the rats of the city coming up and paying their respects. And at the top, you can see Lazarus waiting for him in the afterlife. Do you have a problem with this one, though? Because I feel like those rats are more of theirs, like, ah-ha-ha, finally. Because wasn't he a rat catcher? Yes, but um, I I think it's more of like, so by the time Lazarus had died, the couple years after, Bummer had, the newspaper has had stopped talking about him as much, and he wasn't really as popular. So whenever Bummer died, it wasn't as big of an ordeal. It wasn't as noticed. And so the point of that cartoon is, is that, well, maybe the city didn't notice, but at least someone was there to pay their respects. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So this seems a little, a little weird, but you take two different ways. Yeah. The last contemporary and perhaps the most famous one of the emperor and the good puppies is a man who has the name Samuel Clemens. You perhaps better know him as Mark Twain. (laughs) Mark Twain began working at the Morning Call newspaper in the summer of 1964. And the newspaper office just so happened to be neighboring the boarding house that the emperor lived in. And so Mark Twain became an avid fan of the emperor and would frequently write about him in the newspaper. You write about him and the puppy dogs going so far as even writing bummers eulogy, the newspaper after he died, where I showed you that cartoon of it is widely accepted that Twain based the character of the king from his book, Huckleberry Finn, on the emperor. He's just surrounded by all these famous people who love and adore him. I thought Mark Twain was like 100 years before this time. I guess I got my timeline wrong. No, he... 1860s. Mark Twain, he moved around a lot. So, uh, like, famously, he lives along the Mississippi. And so that's most people associate him with the state of Missouri a lot. Um, But he did live in San Francisco for a number of years. Just happened to be at the same time the emperor was reigning. So, but, uh, of course, all good things must come to an end. Norton the first emperor of the United States and protector of Mexico passed away on January 8th, 1880. He was making his way to watch the monthly debate at the Academy of Natural Sciences in San Francisco. And San Francisco, for those of you who don't know, There's a lot of hills in the city. It's a very hilly place. And as he was walking his way through the evening, he wore himself out basically and collapsed on the sidewalk across the street from the academy. And it was there. He passed away in the night. 
this businessman of the city came together and provided a funeral casket and arranged everything. I mean, the emperor was living in a boarding house. He didn't have much in the way of savings. Um, and so they made funeral arrangements and over 10,000 people came to his funeral procession through the city. Wow. It was reported as being over two miles long. They proceeded through the city uh, at the actual burial. Um, there are only about 30 people present to witness the burial. Today, there are many plaques around the city commemorating the emperor and he's been represented in like comics tv radio shows all forms of media and there is actually a, a group that i got a lot of my sources from for this episode actually known as the emperor norton trust who is spearheading the effort to catalog and get all the information about him in one place but their main effort that they're trying to push for is to have the bay bridge which goes between san francisco and oakland to be renamed the emperor norton bridge in his honor considering norton issued the proclamation calling for its construction in 1872 which was 60 years before it was actually built. Mm. Yeah, and he deserves so, that. And so the trust is actually trying to push through the legislation to get the name change to happen through this year on what would be the 150th anniversary of his proclamation. Whoa! <laughs> and... Another neat thing that the emperor got right, uh, the League of Nations that he called for eventually became a thing following World War I, uh, but it didn't really last long. It fell apart. But the United Nations were established in 1945 in San Francisco, which is kind of neat. Wow. All this shit's coming true. Just one exactly. <laughs> So that is the life and times of the great Norton the First, Emperor of the United States and Protector of Mexico. <laughs> I completely wow. agree with him, other than his dislike of dogs. That's can't get behind that at all, but Great dude. Same. I I don't know if it was a dislike of all dogs. I mean, I don't know if we can make that. It was just specifically comparing the emperor of the United States to a couple of mangy varmints on the street. But I can completely understand with disagreeing with that take. <laughs> That's our episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it and learned something new. I really enjoyed looking into him and finding out all about all this stuff. And it's really neat that we have like cartoons and photographs of these people because it's just a really weird thing <laughs> that happened and that 
the people were just okay with. And I think that's really neat. But uh, like I said, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did like what you hear, please leave us a positive review. Tell your friends about us. We're on all this podcast apps. So just tell them to look wherever. Our music is from Mountaineer. You can find their music and more on upbeat.io. As always, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on occupied land that rightfully belongs to the Kiowa, Comanche, and Tonkpa people, as well as other indigenous groups. If you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, or you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at History Spelunkers. That's history, S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for coming down the rabbit hole with me. Till next time, bye. Bye.